The views expressed on this program do not reflect the views of the staff, management, or licensee of this station. This is 91.7 FM, WHUS Stores. I am Pedal and Ron, and you are listening to Bicycle Talk. It's March 6th, 6th? Yeah, it is. 2023 to be rebroadcast on the 8th and at our regular times on WHUS 91.7 FM and WHUS.org. Welcome to Bicycle Talk with my friendly co-host, the lovely Dr. Fran Storch, a show where we talk about bicycles, bicycle culture, bicycle advocacy, upcoming news and cycling, the bicycle business, and the bicycle calendar. If you have a comment or you'd like to contribute information to the show and you're listening on Facebook Live right here, you can comment below in the little box right here. And Fran and I will uh, will try to get back to you in some way, shape, form, or manner. If you are listening to this in the audio version on a podcast, you can just email me at bicycletalk, the numeral one, at gmail.com. We're recording our shows on Monday now using Facebook Live and then playing them at our normal times on Wednesday at 11 a.m. on WHUS 91.7 FM and whus.org. Announced enough. You can also listen to past episodes of Bicycle Talk on whus.org, iTunes, Spotify, or now fmradiofree.com. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I just discovered that this morning. It's another podcast outlet of sorts. Uh, So anyway, Ron's rant of the week. Here we go. Um, (laughs) Side note, this is not related to bicycles whatsoever. Remember when phones were phones? Mm -hmm. Remember that? You picked up a phone. And what did you do when you picked up the phone, Fran? Did you answer it or did you call someone? Is that what you did? Yeah. Yeah. And then if you didn't get through to them and you had to leave a message, did the other end call you back? What happened here? What? Where's the disconnect? Ah, uh, I know. Your phone is not your phone anymore. It's your social media outlet. It's your text outlet. It's your camera outlet. It's your, oh yeah, this thing also makes phone calls outlet. Anyway, that's it. Just saying. Moving on. Next, parking. (laughs) Yes, that's right, parking. What's parking got to do with bicycles? Well, here it is. Uh, Hartford parking study shows (laughs) the next frontier, quote unquote, in living with motor vehicles. Here's what it calls for. And I have a whole article here. We will go over it as we get into the show and talk a little bit about what's going on in downtown Hartford. By the way, downtown Hartford, just for your knowledge, is one of the um, cities that has the most parking for a city of its size in the United States. Just so you know. And people are complaining about parking. They want more. Anyway, uh, we'll get to that in a bit. That's part of my rant today. It's part of my show today. The uh, the article passed by my screen and I went, oh my God, you got to be kidding me. Uh, there is a solution, of course. This is Bicycle Talk. You can ride your bike. You can park 10 bicycles in the same space as a car. Uh, do I need to go on here? Well, yeah, I will. 
That's the way it works. On a positive side, the classics have started. Oh boy, the classics, the great European classic races, the one days, the the short, you know, maybe six days or whatever. There's a few of them out there. Uh, the classics has the classics have started, and oh boy, are they fun! Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! If you are a big fan of bicycle racing, then you are a big fan of the spring classics because there's some great stuff going on out there. And let's see, weather comes and weather goes. It's another mid-March weather day in front of us. What's it up to, Franny? 50 degrees now. 50 degrees in Connecticut in early March. Who would have thought? Anyway. Here we are. And also, welcome to the 2023 season, everyone. Good luck on all with all the CCAP kids that are out there at the Frozen Four Criterium Series, right? There's a training series coming that started this past weekend for all you bike racers out there, all you local amateur bike racers out there. And it's in Farmington, Connecticut, and it is, um, it started yesterday. So if you go to, if you want to see more about it, you can go to a Facebook page called the Frozen Four Criterium Series. It's kind of cool. It shows, uh, there's some video on there. There's a bunch of people that are racing bikes there, and you may recognize yourself in there if you are one of those that participated in that yesterday. So anyway, kind of cool. Um, let's see. What else? The last positive side. I'm wearing the shirt. Look at the shirt. See the shirt, Fran? See what I got on today? Go Huskies. So, uh, besides being a huge bicycle advocate, huge bicycle racing fan, and just bicycles are what it's all about, you know, I love college basketball and I live in, uh, what what do they call it? disputably the uh, the the basketball capital of the world as we like to refer to it here. So it's um it's basketball season. I go to a lot of games. I I watch a lot of games. It's really really fun. And the Yukon Huskies, who have peaked and valleyed and peaked and valleyed along the way, are are the women are starting to peak, the men are starting to peak, and it's March. The timing couldn't be better. If you're a basketball fan, you know what March Madness is all about. So anyway, uh, go Huskies. Just really psyched. We're behind you all the way, cheering loud, screaming at our television sets right now. If we can't get into, you know, Madison Square Garden or the Mohegan Sun, where there are the Big East championships are happening at the moment. But anyway, it's good times, great entertainment, great way to get through the winter. Keeps you warm. It's beautiful. Uh, so anyway, that's my shout out to our, our good friends, the Yukon Huskies. We, we like those guys. We also bump into them often around town because we live in Mansfield. We live in stores. And so we have this, uh, you know, this uh, opportunity to see them at gas stations and grocery stores and other various places around. And it's just kind of fun. It's just a fun thing. Ah, uh, okay. Mechanical Minute and Cycling Tips. Seeing as I am bringing up the whole parking lot <clears throat> and parking space discussion in this week's show, I thought that I would take a moment to talk to you about how to lock a bike without a rack. Because there's not always a rack available 
especially in, of all places, a parking lot. Can you imagine that? You've made this wonderful place to park all of these motorized vehicles and there's no place to park your bike. What's with that? Big shout out to Willimantic, by the way. City of Willimantic built a parking garage, as many, many cities and towns do. And at the base of that parking garage, right where you go into the garage, there are places to park your bike. Oh, hello. There you go. There's Fran showing you a picture of us at the uh, grocery store up in stores uh, with Aaliyah Edwards. Go Aaliyah. (laughs) Aaliyah Edwards, by the way, is just rocking it this year. She's she's a very nice person. And she's super nice. Everybody's very approachable. It's really fun. So anyway, back to um, the city of Willimantic and giving them a huge shout out because when they built their parking garage, they put bicycle racks in the garage, not outside the garage, in the garage. So what does this mean? What it means is you can park your bike in the garage for free and it's covered. So you don't have to worry about it raining on it and it's protected. And oh my goodness, I love it when towns get a clue. I just love it. It's just a beautiful thing. Now this type of clue usually comes from outside input to, uh, you know what we should do if we're going to build a garage? Maybe we should put some bike racks in there. What a smart idea. What a great idea. Anyway, by the way, if you ride your bike to that parking garage, you can pretty much walk all over town and run all of your errands and then come back to your bike and not have to worry about paying a fee to park in a garage. Hey, who would have thought? Who would have thought? It's I know it's I know it's a tough thing, but in many cases, like let's say the city of Hartford, you go to these enormous like desert-like parking lots. Like if you go to Hartford on the weekend when there's nothing going on, uh, let's say all the state workers aren't in working, all the insurance company people are not in working, these parking garages are uh, not parking garages, these parking lots are vast and they are very, very deserted. They're very empty. So anyway, um, (laughs) Hartford's difficulty, Joel says, is that nobody lives there. So the average commuter travels too far for biking. Right. Yeah, that that is true. That is definitely true. Although, just so you know, you could park in a commuter lot on the other side of the river. I'm going to say east of the river because we actually have bike trails east of the river. That'll put you right into downtown Hartford. So you could actually avoid those parking lots and do a smaller commuter lot and then ride your bike from there. I know a lot of people that did, Wahlberg did that for years. He did that. He would ride his bike partway, park his car, and then he would ride his bike into work from that point. So there are options out there and there's definitely, um, there are definitely ways to, to make it work for you. The beauty of riding your bicycle into work in a really, really busy place that has tonnage, and I'm talking tonnage of parking lots, acres and acres and acres of parking lots and garages, is that you get out of there way quicker than they do because you're on a bicycle. Isn't that great? And the other cool thing is if you have an employer that has a clue 
um, the employer will actually put all the bike racks, places where you could park your bikes, right next to the entrance and exit to the building. So therefore, the people who ride their bikes have priority to getting in and out. Isn't that kind of a cool idea, huh? Very, very cool. Hey, we have a new name on here, Nate. Hey, Nate, welcome to Bicycle Talk today. Very, very cool. So let's go back to this little discussion, how to lock a bike without a rack. This little site here has five options, and I'm sure there are more than five options, but uh, what do you do when you want to lock your bike and there's nothing to lock it to? That can be a real problem. So you got to start looking around. You got to start getting creative because if there's no place for you to lock your bike, then someone could, technically, they could pick it up and they could walk away with it even though it's locked. So you want to start being resourceful. So you want to look around. One of the first things you're going to look for is a lamppost because a lamppost is generally very tall and it would be very, very hard for you to pick up your the bike and lift it up over the lamppost, therefore releasing it from its security and then working on the lock later on. So a lamppost is a great place to look um, as far as locking your bike goes. And that would be, um, it, especially if you're using like a U-lock or something like that, there's a number of different locks out there. If you're going to leave your bike for an extended period of time, a U-lock is probably the most uh, peace of mind you're going to get and the most security you're going to get. But definitely, that's a good way to go. Another thing you might want to look for is a bench. You know, in a lot of cities, when you go in, there might be a bench there for somebody to sit down, take a little break between shopping or, you know, walking up and down the street or whatever it may be. So you want to look for a bench because it's a great place to lock your bike because they're stable, they're sturdy, and they also usually have some sort of way of, uh, uh, many of them have like a wrought iron type of capability. So you can weave a lock through there and, and you can, you can kind of lock yourself up that way. So a bench is another great place to lock your bike up if you don't have a place to ride, uh, to lock your bike. Road signs. Okay. This one's a little trickier, okay? They're similar to lampposts. And if you lock your bike on a road sign and it's got a big enough sign on the top and you didn't use a cable lock to do it, it's gonna be really, really hard to lift that bike up and over the road side sign to, to take the bike away. But uh, U-lock is once again, the most secure way to do that because you just can't get it through the actual sign on the top. So that works out fairly well. But uh, a road sign is another great place to do it. Works. I would highly recommend it. If you're concerned about scratching your bike, by the way, uh, a lot of people are. Or, or then there's people that their commuter bike is just the bike that they scratch up and don't care about. Because when you're leaning against something like a road sign or like a park bench or a... Um, or a lamp post, there's a possibility for you to scratch the frame. You can really simply just take a piece of, um, this is like the most inexpensive thing you can do. You go to your local hardware store and get yourself um, some plumber's pipe insulation. And just put that around the top tube of the bike and then lock your bike up and it won't scratch because it's a foam protectant and it works really, really good. Um, next thing on the, on the list here, uh, railings. Okay, yeah, railings. Actually, if you go to our 
latest little redeveloped downtown stores, there's actually a railing which is designated as a bike rack up there. And um, you can you can find that a railing works pretty good. They're kind of like a bike-specific bike rack, except they're a rail. But you can certainly securely put something onto a railing. Uh, you can use any type of lock to safely secure your bike to them. It could be a U-lock, a chain, or a cable lock. They fit through the bars, make up and that make the railings and easily pass back through the bike frame. So that works really well also. And then what else do we have here? This will probably be the last little piece here, although there is a little note down the bottom. Uh, trees. Trees are good. I, I would find it really, really, really unusual for someone to cut a tree down in order to steal a bike so you know i i'm not saying it hasn't happened i'm just saying that it would be unusual uh so a tree is a great and obvious place you could wrap a chain around or a cable around and you could secure your bike there if you're concerned about um the cable not being enough and you have a u-lock a combination of the two works pretty good because the cable can go around the tree and then the u-lock can then go through the cable and serve as a, a very very heavy duty padlock so that works really good uh, try to pick a mature tree so you don't have to deal with somebody attempting to take down a little tiny tree you don't want to deal right. with tiny trees so pick a tree that's worthy of its um of its weight, so to speak. Uh, so cable lock or a chain lock in combination with a U-lock is a great way to deal with that. And then there's the uh, last little piece here. And I think I've done this with Fran where we would go in and um, there would be no place to lock your bike. So you take the two bikes one goes north, one goes south. So the handlebars are going in the opposite direction. You lean them against one another and then you lock them together. It's not perfect because you're not locking against a stationary object. But I will tell you, it's a lot more difficult to pick up two fully equipped bicycles that are locked together than it is to pick up one. So it does add a certain amount of difficulty to taking the bikes away. Again, um, it all really depends on how long you're going to leave the bike as far as this goes. So you need to like kind of take a look at your, your time that's going to be spent away from the bike. Or maybe you're just going into the local coffee shop and you got eyes on the bike so you can kind of see what's going on so that adds a little extra level of protection too is keeping things in sight speaking of keeping things in sight do not i repeat do not lock your bicycle in an inconspicuous place thinking that you're keeping um eyes that may want to take your bicycle off of it it's a really bad idea. You want to put it in the most conspicuous space you can find because you want to have a lot of people see where the bike is. You will have a much better chance of someone saying, hey, what are you doing? Is that your bike? Than you would if you had it hidden like under a stairwell or someplace like that. So please, please don't 
find a secret quiet place to lock your bike because what you're going to find is that secret quiet place is not going to have your bike there when you get done. So you just have to make um, some common sense choices when you're locking your bike. I just wanted to bring that up because of all of the parking spaces or parking lots that are in big cities like Hartford, maybe New Haven. I think I, you know, Joel can answer to this one right now because he's probably got a little bit better idea about what happens down there as far as the bike rack scene goes. But um, you get into these big cities and you'll get these massive parking lots and which are accessible to wherever you're trying to go, but they have no place to lock a bike. So it's um, if you have that experience in your town or your city, this is when you show up for the public comment section of your local town meetings and or city council meetings. And when you are allowed to make local comments, you go, hey, I ride a bicycle. I'm trying not to populate you know, the world with another automobile. I'm trying to create more space for others. And I just, I have no place to lock my bike. Is there any way that we can get some bicycle racks put into this location or this location or this location? It would certainly be helpful and it would keep one less car out of your city so that more people would have access to your city. Again, Positive beats negative all the time. You got to come in with positive comments when you do this sort of thing, but you never will get what you're looking for unless you don't. You have to ask. You got to ask. You got to, and asking in a, in a really positive way and making the suggestion, that this is going to make your, the, the town that you're working with and the, all the businesses around it less congested is a great way to put the ask in. So um, it's just common sense. It's not rocket science, okay? No offense to the rocket scientists that are listening to the show right now. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you never know. We have a, we have a diverse crowd. We definitely do. And, um, but I would say that a large number of my crowd tends to be more in the engineering department than they are the rocket science department. It's just the way it is with bicycles. And if anybody else has ever owned a bicycle shop or been around a college town, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, engineers ride bikes. They like bikes. Bikes are simple. They're see, they make sense. They're just, you know, it's an engineer thing. It's just kind of an engineer thing. That's all. Um, it's also a physicist thing. It's also, you know, it could be anyone. It could be anyone. It's an environmentalist thing. There's a lot of, a lot of people that like bikes, which is good. We just need to be, figure out a way to make it even more comfortable for you to own a bike. So this, um, this little piece of information came out in the Hartford Current, and it was a Hartford parking study that points to the next frontier, quote unquote, in living with motor vehicles. How about we live without them? I like that idea better. Here's what it calls for. All right, so they're talking about this little cafe, and it's um, it, it it's in uh, oh, let's see where is this? I, it's in Hartford, and it's near a window facing Capitol Avenue here. And the owners say metered parking has helped draw customers to their business. That's nice. That's all very nice. Um, so when this particular coffee shop opened five years ago. 
the, sh uh, the, the shop in Hartford's Frog Hollow neighborhood soon realized it had a marketing problem. Customers had no place to park near its Capitol Avenue storefront. Uh, workers employed in the area would snag the spot's curbside and then park their cars there all day long. By the way, if you own a business and you have employees that come to that business and they park and they work in your business all day long and they park in the prime spot, have a conversation, please. Let's not be silly about this. Those are for your customers. Those aren't for your employees. But anyway, that's another rant for another time. It's just, uh, it's one of those like kind of personal gripes I used to have. Don't park your car in front of the front door. Park it in the back. Park it away from the front door so that the people that are coming in and spending money and paying your paycheck have a place to park. That makes more sense. Anyway, better yet, have them ride their bike in. But that's, it's a lot easier for me to say that and do that when I was the proprietor of a bicycle shop. So that really makes it a whole lot easier. But here you go. You got the uh, grab and go, go to the coffee shop, not, no place to park my car. So there's all these complaints. And so these people um, wanted to put in, um, the, this person and her partners pushed for and won an additional striped parking spots and metered parking that opened spaces for their customers. So now we're putting in more parking to accommodate small business, not bad. Small businesses are good. We like small businesses, but we're putting in more parking to accommodate that. What if there were more people riding their bicycles into work or more pedestrians coming into work, not using cars, then wouldn't those spaces open up in other places? Just a, just a theory, you know, an idea maybe. Uh, in addition, um, to the on-street park, parking, parking that would foster a storefront business like a coffee shop. Um, it's also among the recommendations of a recent study of parking commissioned by the city and the Hartford Parking Authority, which oversees publicly managed parking. As the city seeks to regain momentum behind revitalization in the aftermath of the pandemic, um, the uh, consulting firm makes the assertion that the city may have to replace and even add to the parking that has already redeveloped, uh, has, uh, it, that it has already as redevelopment unfolds in the coming years. The suggestion that the city needs more parking is a bit surprising and even shocking. Given that Hartford has 80% more parking than cities of similar size. 80% more. All right. Uh, that's a, that was a study that was put out by the University of Connecticut. These guys. Uh, so anyway, uh, the parking lots were created when buildings were demolished for development projects and then they were scrapped. Often are um, derided from for pocking up the cityscape. It looks terrible. It really does. It's horrible. Big open spaces. Like I said, go into Hartford on a day that there is not business being conducted as in corporate business being conducted or state business being conducted. And it's a desert. It's, it's, an, it's a desert of asphalt. It's everywhere. And it's just, just a horrible, horrible waste. Does a garage serve a better purpose than 
an acre of land. Well, yeah, it does. It does. A garage, at least you can multi-tier, you can go under, you can, you can at least spread it out that way. Does it make it any faster to get out when the whistle blows and it's time to get out? Maybe, maybe not. It's hard to say. People are pretty impatient and everything gets pretty jammed up. But by applying that idea, the obvious solution is if I want to get out of town quick, I'm going to ride my bike because the bike makes more sense. It's simpler. It's easier to get in and out. And all you really have to do, and this brings on part of that good old pedal and run <laughs> challenge, and that is that, you know, give up the car for one day, ride your bike. Maybe you don't have to give the entire trip in your car up. Maybe you just need to give a portion of the trip up so that you can just ride your bike from door to door to door with whatever you're doing. It's so simple. It's so easy. Uh, yeah. I, I just, I don't understand why more people haven't figured it out yet because it just makes a lot more sense. If you're really fortunate and you live in a place like we live, and, and I'm not going to say that, you know, we, we don't live in a city. We live in the woods, in the country, but we are very, very, very close to the airline trail and the airline trail goes right through Willimantic. So, the city that we would be able to shop in is between five and six miles away. And it's a flat ride in because we're only, well, we're a little less than two miles, I think, Fran, from the, from the rail trail That's right. from our house. And then you're on pretty much a flat surface because it's an old rail trail and you just ride your bike in and do your stuff. I, I did a trip a few weeks ago and rode the bike in and loaded up with about 30 pounds of groceries and rode back home. And I didn't drive the car in order to do that. So that's a beautiful thing because you can do it. And I got home and I, it was great because you feel great. You don't have to go fast. It's not a bike racer thing. It's a commuter thing. You go at the speed that you need to go at, which is generally slow and fine. And, and, it, and it's, you know, it's a functional thing to do. Uh, it also avoids a parking lot or a parking garage. So <laughs> the fact that the study shows that they need to put more parking in a city that has more parking than most other cities across the United States of the same size just kind of blows me away, which is why it got listed in my rant of the week. It's not the correct answer. It just really isn't the correct answer. The correct answer is to come up with better ways to bring more people in and out of the city without using one motorized vehicle. Or maybe by using one motorized vehicle. They're called buses. They're called trains. It's a much better way to do this. And to ride your bicycle to the bus st station or the bus stop or the train station and then hop on that and let somebody else do the driving and have another 30 or 40 people in there with you, that's 30 or 40 less parking spaces needed. Are we starting to catch on to this whole idea here, the whole vibe of this? What the problem is, is not creating more parking. The problem is creating more ways for people to get in and not have to utilize the parking. 
that is the answer. That is totally the answer. So what needs to be done, and I've been in a bunch of discussion groups on this, I've been on way too many Zoom meetings talking about this, is we need to try to teach people to rethink the way they believe in transportation or maybe the lack thereof. And our changes could be made. They've been made in other cities around the world. Take a look at Copenhagen. Take a look at Amsterdam. Those are, those are classic, you know, gold star cities as far as I'm concerned because they got the clue 30 or 40 years ago and they followed that path. And now there's just not a lot of motorized vehicles there because they've accommodated for non-motorized vehicles. Really smart, really, really smart. So instead of putting all of this money and I'm watching, I'm looking at this article and I'm looking at the fact that I know this, this, um, this uh, group here, THA Consulting of Bluebell, Pennsylvania, I know they make their money off of this, but maybe they should understand that maybe the proposal should be, you need to make your, bi your city more bike friendly and then you won't have to you won't have the need for the parking and to create these vast desert wastelands of parking that are not utilized many times out of the day at night they're empty there's nothing going on there what if we had better ways of getting around and you didn't have to worry about the whole parking thing. You didn't have to worry about coming to your car in the middle of the night and worried about maybe it's a dangerous place that I parked my car. Got to change the mindset here, folks. That's that's what I'm ranting about. That's why I'm I'm just very critical of this idea and also this article. I mean, obviously, someone is not paying complete attention to the solution that could happen. Now, we do have places in Hartford that are in need of parking because a lot of people come from outside of the city to go to things like the baseball park or to go to the XL Center where there are events that are going on, be it sporting events or other events that are happening. Um, <laughs> my favorite monster truck shows <clears throat> no anyway that's not my favorite but anyway um yeah we need parking for that sort of thing or maybe we need a busing service that would let's say um there's a very large uh football field and complex over in east hartford what if there were um buses that would bring people into the city and from there, and then they have substantial parking around this giant arena, then you don't have the parking problem in downtown Hartford. Downtown Hartford, I love you. I love you dearly. Luke, you did great things. I really think that what has happened in Hartford over the years has been wonderful, but we have to reinvent the wheel here. And yet we don't. We just really need to use a different wheel simple very very simple work out something with connecticut transit so that when there is an event in town you don't have to go into hartford to go to the event you just have to park outside where there's ample parking in giant parking lots that are set up outside of the city and um you know 
bring people in that way instead. What a great idea. But, you know, great ideas come and great ideas go. But most of the time, they go. Because somebody comes along and thinks that that's just never going to work. I'll never be able to drive my car again. Well, oh my God, what a crime. Never be able to drive your car again. Terrible, terrible. You can still drive your car. You can still have your precious vehicle. You can still have your individual private transportation system. You can still have all of that. It's just maybe not all the time. Maybe you need to think about this a little differently. Maybe if you don't drive your motorized vehicle as much, your motorized vehicle will last longer and you won't have to buy a new one every two or three years because it lasts longer and makes more sense. Maybe if when you decide that you're going to go into, let's say, the city to go see an event, you look around the neighborhood and find maybe a couple of other neighbors that are looking to do the same thing and you all go in together, not just one person in one car or three different people in three different cars, but three people in one car. We're not thinking right here. We're not thinking logically at all. And this is why this all this idea needs to change. So what helps make the change? The change is very, very simple. Um, what helps is awareness. Awareness is uh, created by people who think in a positive manner. So awareness to the fact that, well, you know, we were going to spend, you know, four or five million dollars on putting in this new parking complex, but instead we decided to make protected bike lanes for the same amount of money or maybe less money. That's, that's progressive thinking. That's thinking outside of the box. It's, it's a shame that something so simple should be considered outside the box, but that's really what we have here. We really need to start looking at things from a different perspective because let's face it, folks, the fossil fuel vehicle is going away. You've heard it from all of the car executives. You're starting to hear it now from the energy companies. They know. They know that the writing's on the wall. They're just going to suck the last bit of oil they can out of the ground while they still can because they're making so much money on it. But eventually, that party is going to be over and things are going to have to be looked at from a different perspective. If you, if you look at some of the insightful people out there that have been watching this over the years that are connected to those industries, they're all making the prediction that there's going to be a lot less personal individual vehicles needed in not just the future, but the near future. It's not that far away. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with this guy because, you know, he's he is what he is, but he is also someone who sees things that other people don't see earlier along the way. His name is Elon Musk, and he is not, again, not my favorite character, but he has changed the way automobiles are being made right now. He has made a huge change. And he has also made a prediction by the year 2030, there will be more E-type bicycles and E-type transportation items sold to consumers than automobiles. Think about that. Now, I think he's a little ahead of his time, but then again, you never know. You never know. 
uh, he put the the fear of God in in all of the German auto manufacturers when he built a plant over right outside of the BMW and Mercedes-Benz uh, factories over in Germany. So everybody's kind of looking at what this guy does and what's going on, and now everyone's rushing to produce an electric vehicle. Uh, all of them, uh, they're all way too expensive. They're all far more expensive than they need to be for what they are. And, um, you know, but that's because they can. Uh, if the demand increases, then the prices should, and, and, and the competition increases, then the prices should go down. There are um, wild, wild electric vehicles that are available um, uh, that are related towards more towards the bicycle industry than towards the car industry. And they are very capable of doing a lot of the things that you need to have done, especially if you live in a city type atmosphere. Uh, they're small, they're convenient, they don't go very far, they don't go super fast, but they do what they have to do to get you around. And they do it for a whole lot less money than buying a $60,000 American automobile or German automobile. So there's, there's answers out there and eventually there's going to be demand because food is a good thing to be able to have money to buy. But transportation? There's other ways of doing this. There's totally other ways of doing this. And it's a lot healthier. It's a lot better for our environment. There's just so many good things that we can do to solve the current problems of transportation. So parking lots, do we build more? Is that how we bring more people in? No, not the answer. So um, as far as, ah, okay. So small businesses, you know, that are on a busy city street, they kind of rely on that parking. They need the parking on the streets. But if there were less cars taking up the big lots and other places, then there would be more spaces on the streets. It, this is not rocket science. Once again, I throw the poor rocket scientists out there again into the mix. This is really simple engineering. This is simple common sense engineering. Um, what we really need is not more parking lots. We need more safe bike lanes which will bring me on deeper into the show. I'm going to move on from this one because I could talk about this all day long. I, I just get completely frustrated with the thought patterns that we have here in the United States as far as, um, as far as transportation go and it goes. And, you know, we just really need to change everything. But and, you know, I had an article here, too, which I'm probably not going to address right now. But there was an article that was put out a while back about electric cars shouldn't distract us from the changes to be to to the built environment. Um, so here's another thing with your electric car that everyone all of a sudden feels the need to have and produce and. Um, mining of lithium is coming up short and it, they're not going to be able to mine enough lithium to meet the demand of the vehicles that everyone is trying to produce. Uh, if you take a look at companies like Volkswagen and um, seems like there was another one out there, but Volkswagen really, really waves a red flag to me on this. 
they feel the answer is the immediate answer is more in the hybrid department than it is in the full electric department. I don't think they're wrong. I think they're completely right about that. And so that way you also have a weaning process off of petrochemical fuel and you, um, you know, you can slowly make the transition over. But, you know, both Fran and I own hybrid vehicles and I'm, I'm totally sold on the idea because it's, it's, a, it's a better alternative and I still have the range I need when I'm out driving to Pennsylvania to do a farm to fork Fondo or something like that. So it, it gives me, still gives me the versatility that I need. But around town, it's great. I, I drove up to the community center this morning. It's almost getting nice enough to ride my bike up there. It's getting real close. We, it's a little bit warmer, and I'll, I'll start thinking about that again. Well, it's gonna, oh, it's going to be daylight it, savings time, but, but you're going to lose an hour. Yeah, but I'm going to lose it on the wrong end of the day. So it's really not, that's not helpful to me as far as that goes, because when the sun's oh, not out, it's not warm. <laughs> so when it's dark out, it's cold. So, and I am, I'm a princess when it comes to riding in cold. I don't like to ride the cold. I just That's don't. the one way I'm less that's, of a princess that's than it. you. Yeah, but I see you riding your bike to work all the time. Not. Anyway. Well, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not riding to go work out. I'm riding no, to, to be I'm fresh not, and clean and Well, you know, I'm riding well, to teach a class, so I'm not really riding to work out either. I'm riding yeah, as to get away to get transportation to get me to get me to my job. It is a different situation for sure. Not a problem. Anyway, it, it's an easy problem to solve. We won't get into it not, not because it's going to turn into way too much of a discussion. You do not have to ride to work fast. You do not have to ride to work with a lot of effort. E-bikes yeah, are an alternative. have to be fresh and clean and don't have a good place right. to change. Well, and, and this is this is an you. argument that you're not going to win with me, but that's all right. Or with me and vice and, versa. And so we're just going to agree to disagree on this one. But uh, anyway, um, moving forward, let's see. Where are we looking at for time here? We're deep, we're deep into it. I got to jump. I got to make a big jump. The big jump I'm going to make is I'm going to make the jump over to racing bicycle racing because there's some great classics going on right now the uh strada bianca was this past weekend by the way the name strada bianca is italian for white roads okay it stems from historic white gravel roads in the in the crete senesi which are a defining feature of the race. One third of the total race distance is raced on dirt roads, covering 63 kilometers of Strada Bianca, uh, spread over 11 sectors. So it's a 184 kilometer race, and it was this past weekend. And it's really cool because it's it was you know there's lots of dirt roads the only uncool thing about it was that it rained about three days before the race but then it dried out a lot and it was dusty and you know riders were having a really hard time seeing where they were going there were multiple crashes as riders got too close to the edge of the road probably because they couldn't see where they were going because the dust storm was so big in front of them so there were a lot of things like that going on but um tom pidcock in men's race 
became the first Brit to win the Strada Bianca after a 20-kilometer solo attack. So, hello, Tom Pidcock. Now, Tom Pidcock has another background, and that is cyclocross. So, therefore, you put someone who has some cyclocross skills and is not afraid of a dirt road, um, and you put them on a bike on a solo attack, and next thing you know, you have victory at the line. So, pretty cool stuff. Uh, Demi Vollering uh, <laughs> in the women's race <laughs> avoided a horse that got loose on the course and ended up holding on to the very end uh, to take a photo finish win at the women's race. So, uh, <laughs> but crazy stuff. The ladder from the, uh, this attack from this group uh, quickly got a gap, reduced the gap to um, Faulkner. So Vollering then had a scare when a horse ran onto the road in front of her, making the Dutch woman break for fear of spooking the horse further, bypassing it and risking her race. But somehow she got through it. The horse on the course uh, nearly disrupted racing. And uh, once the horse was out of the way, Vollering took up the chase again, was 59 seconds behind Faulkner going into the uh, final gravel sector with a steep 18% climb. 18% on gravel. Think about it. Just think about it. That's all. We'll, we'll leave it alone. We'll let you uh, decide what you want to do. If you're thinking that gravel is your thing, it seems to be very, very, very popular right now. Um, we've got a gravel event coming up in northeastern Connecticut at the end of March, which I am involved in. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, the, um, the registration is filling up rapidly. And it's March, and these are pre-registered. So could be any kind of weather. It's still March. We don't know what we're going to have. We could have a snowstorm that weekend. You have no idea. But you know what? People are itching to get out and ride gravel rides. So there's a big gravel ride coming up at the end of March. Um, I will be involved in a discussion at the local bike shop the day before where we're going to have a pre-event uh, pre celebration at that bike shop with some interviews with some people who have done some fairly remarkable things on bicycles. So it's really going to be a fun time. And uh, we're expecting a pretty large gathering for that too. So good times are coming ahead, and we will be uh, we will be broadcasting that on Facebook Live also for that event on the 25th of March. I um, had some discussion about that. We've got another meeting this week to talk a little bit more about how we're going to present. But I am planning on running it on the Bicycle Talk Facebook page, uh, Facebook Live for the event. So you can kind of check it out or you can come on down and check and see what's going on. It's kind of fun. Ride your bike in on the rail trail, on the airline trail, or on the Hop River Trail into Willimantic. Yeah, see? Setting the stage here. Here we go. So, um... <laughs> So that was the Strada Bianca. The also the beginning of the Paris Nice has started, and Tadej Pogacar showed his hand early when with a Paris Nice late attack. So the Paris Nice race is on. That is a multi multi day race, and that is also out there if you have um, good 
internet app connections that you um, can bring in bike racing to your screens. You get to watch this stuff. It's great. It's fun. All the big names are back. They're all out there. By the way, on the uh, uh, the uh, Bianca race, the uh, Matthew Vanderpool was 17th overall. So just give you an idea of the talent that's out there right now and what's happening at this time of year. It's good stuff. All really, really good stuff. So the carnage continues in Arizona. We're going to jump again here. Uh, quick question for you. Here we go. When was the last time your steering wheel locked while you were driving your motorized vehicle? Why do I ask that question? Well, I'll tell you why I asked that question. I asked that question because there was an event that happened in, um, in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, there was a driver of a pickup truck ran into the back of a group of cyclists uh, and two of the cyclists were killed. 11 were taken to the hospital with four remaining there, one in critical condition. There is a GoFundMe up on that if you'd like to help out with some of the people and their medical bills. Um, the person who worked at the Trek store out there suffered a broken pelvis, multiple broken ribs, lacerations, severe road rash. And so anyway, if you are looking to help out, that would be a really, really cool thing. So what happened? All right. That's why I, I mentioned this. Let's see. I, I know it was down to. So the driver of the vehicle, see, there wasn't mention of the driver of the vehicle, which is wonderful because usually that's the last thing we ever hear of it. And um, what has happened is he was a 26-year-old male and he was, oh, come on, I know it was here. Um, he was uh, charged with not enough as far as I'm concerned. Two people died. You know, there's two counts of, of manslaughter. Oh, here it is. The driver, Pedro Quintana Lujan of Phoenix, 26 years old, was taken into custody Saturday and charged with two counts of manslaughter, three counts of aggravated assault, 18 counts of endangerment, and two counts of causing serious injury or death by a moving violation. Moving violation. Yeah, right. Uh, Goodyear police said he told the police his steering locked and the truck started drifting into the group of about 30 riders. Bad idea. That's a 26-year-old response. That's more like a 16-year-old response. Um, I It wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, it was, this guy was a bozo from day one. So uh, he was released from jail with... Um, <laughs> So he's out. He's out. He's on. He's out on the streets again. Hopefully, he never ever dons another set of keys that go into a motorized vehicle. That would be a really nice thing. But yeah, it's still going on. People are still doing stupid things. This guy did a really really stupid thing, and there you have it. There you have it. So uh, if you'd like to help out, once again, there is a GoFundMe page out there for it. So you can look it up and probably find it and help out some of your fellow cyclists that have had some misfortune because of a motorized vehicle. Uh, High Torque, a uh, corporation that owns road bike action and electric bike action magazines has closed its doors. So we will no longer be getting good stuff from them. I have a number of people within the industry who had posted that this week 
and um, it's going to be missed because Road Bike Action was a great little publication. The Philly Bike Expo that is always in the fall is moving to March of 20 in 2024. So they're going to move it up to March. Good idea. That's right when the cycling season is really starting up here in the Northeast. It's really a kind of a perfect time. So um, anyway, that's happening. Um, time to finish this thing up. Uh, we have a lot of other things coming up. The Natchog Epic, which is on March 26th. Uh, on the 25th, Pedal and Ron will be at Pedal Power in Willimantic, Connecticut. Stop on by, check it out. The uh, Hop River Mountain Bike races on April 15th. Uh, that is another event out here in Connecticut. And the Taipei Show is starting March 22nd. And there will be a number of options on that. And also the International Ride of Silence, May 17th, 2023. Stay in touch with us and I'll have more information for that on that. The Bicycle Game is still on display in Hartford. Check it out. It's very cool. The National Bike Summit is March 26th through the 29th. Boy, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. And guess what? The Paris-Roubaix is coming. So finishing points. Don't forget about the Bicycle Game in at the Connecticut Historical Society in Hartford. The Natchog Epic is coming at the end of March. Come see me live at Pedal Power in Willimantic for the preview of the Natchog Epic. I'll be there on Saturday afternoon, March 25th from 4 p.m. on. It's going to be a great weekend. I'll say it again. It won't be my first time. <sighs> get loud. Get active. Our time has come. Stop complaining about traffic, dangerous roads, price of gas, lack of places to safely ride and park your bike. And join the revolution of change. Remember, when presenting to your local governments, come with solutions, not complaints or problems. Positive beats negative every single time. Please support your local bike shop. It's 2023. Initiate, participate, ride your bike, tell everyone you know. And finally, take on the Pedal and Ron Challenge. If you have a motorized vehicle, park it one day and just use your bike. You may surprise yourself. The views expressed in this program do not reflect the views of the staff, management, or licensee of this station. You have been listening to Bicycle Talk with my co-host Fran Storch, a show where we talk about bicycles, bicycle culture, bicycle advocacy, upcoming news and cycling, the bicycle business, and the bicycle calendar. If you've been listening to this here on Facebook Live, you can leave comments alone right down here below, or you can send me an email at bicycletalk, the numeral one, at gmail.com. You can listen to past episodes on whus.org, iTunes, Spotify, or other that I mentioned it earlier, but didn't put it down here. Um, if you'd like to contribute information to the show, send me an email. This is Peddlin' Ron. Remember, keep that rubber side down and the wind at your back. Get out and ride your bike. It really, really could save your life. This is 91.7 FM, WHUS Stores, and WHUS.org. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. To 